Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hey, fanboys and fangirls, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. With us today is Valentine Delandro. You know him as the artist on Bitch Planet uh, from Image Comics. He's the co-creator with Kelly Sue DeConnick. It is one of the most woke books uh, out there right now. It's a exploitation riff on a prison planet. It's sort of a dystopian future where everyone who is seen as non-compliant in a very harsh patriarchal society. So these are women, minorities, people with disabilities, uh, trans folks, people in the LGBTQ community. They're all sent to a prison planet. And uh, that's how the book takes place, uh, based on sort of those grindhouse B-movie uh, prison planet exploitation films from like the 1970s, I would say. Uh, you also may know him from his long runs on X-Factor and Marvel Knights 4, which is a Fantastic Four title before uh, Marvel sort of uh, buried it because they don't have the film license anymore and we don't <laughs> see the Fantastic Four around anymore. But uh, he worked he worked on one of those books. So welcome, Valentine. How are you? I'm good, Aaron. Thank you. Good. So I want to talk about all this, especially uh, Bitch Planet, because I'm a regular reader and uh, Thank you. I really appreciate some of the political things that uh, that Kelly and you discuss mm-hmm. in it. Uh, I sort of relate as a person with disability because I'm always aware that if I was born in a different time mm-hmm. as a Jewish person, you know, if I was born during the Holocaust or something, mm-hmm. and as a person with disability, mm-hmm. it would have been stepped to the left and off to the gas chamber with me, right? Wow. So I think, you know, I, I always am sort of conscious of if I was born under less privileged circumstances in a different country in a different time, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably be dead right now, right now. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that's sort of how I came to the book. Mm-hmm. But before we get into it, uh, I want to know about your early life. Like, where were you born? 
Uh, how did you become an artist? Oh, uh, I'm Canadian. I was born here. I was born in Winnipeg, actually. Oh, my dad's uh, from Winnipeg. Oh, yeah? Uh, he grew up in the North End. I was kind of south, so okay. yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I came, I came to Ontario, let's say, because we've jumped around a little bit from Mississauga to Scarborough and all these places around uh, Toronto in the 80s. So I've been here since. Did and your parents have like a job or transfer? Or yeah, something? my dad was going to come out to school here. He studied uh, law at Windsor. So I don't know if they were looking at maps when they came here because they parked up in Mississauga and he still had to trek over to Windsor to go to school. He used to do that every week. (laughs) He'd come home on the weekends. So, yeah, I mean... For those that don't know, yeah. that's that's almost like a six. Is like a six-hour drive. Like, yeah, at least. Yeah, at least. Wow. Yeah. Every day. No. Well, he did. He came on the weekends. He had somewhere to you know shack up when he was going to school during the week. On the weekends, he'd come back home. Still. So yeah, no, he put some mileage on that weird Camaro that he had. Yeah, and and drawing. I mean, that's that's something I sort of remember from from very early on. I remember my older brother used to draw, and I would be nagging him to draw me a picture, and he wouldn't do it. So it, it's more out of spite. It's just it's just me being petty, and it's like, fine, you don't want to draw something for me, I'll learn to draw it myself. And so, so he was like a really talented artist. Yeah, my brother was really good. He was he was a solid draw. And he used to draw superheroes and all that stuff. He loved drawing Wolverine and and all those characters back in the day. So how much younger are you than him? Uh, what's that seven years or something oh, yeah okay. something about yeah so yeah no i was i was a, an annoying little yappy brother running behind him asking him to do things but uh i picked up some paper and i i started tracing first and then you know i i just uh kept going with it that's awesome yeah um how did comics come into your life i don't know i mean it's it's one of my early earliest memories so i don't really know where exactly i remember you know my grandfather had a whole stack of them i used to read he used to have a lot of like old spider-man books you know that if i were to pick them up now the and and go and cgc grade them it would be crazy but no idea where these books are anymore but i know he had some old amazing spider-man runs i, I remember th- uh, uh a few of those issues very vividly he had archies all those things right my dad my dad was a uh, kind of nerdy too he knew all those comic books as well he took me to my first uh comic book store back in the day so uh he took me to where did, where did we go there were there were a few here, but it wasn't until I got here that I went to them. So I think it was Dragon Lady. I think it was the old Dragon Lady. Oh, nice! That's where my dad took me first when uh, to show me what collecting was all about. Right. So the irony of that is uh, Dragon Lady. I, mean, I know you went there when you were a kid, yeah, but, yeah. but Dragon Lady used to be frequented by a lot of uh, artists in the yes, industry indeed. because of their backlog of like magazines yeah. and reference material that that uh, artists could get. And yeah. and who knew that you'd become one of those artists eventually. Uh, funny enough, when I had to start looking for some back issue reference, I did try and uh, find Dragon Lady or at least something similar to it. And uh, I was able to grab some issues from there. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Dragon Lady was like your first comic shop. That's a yeah. great a great way to start because they definitely uh, knew what they were doing. Sure thing. Back when it was open. Sure thing. How did you go from being like a fan of comics? What spoke to you about them? And then how did you go from being a fan to wanting to do it like professionally? What spoke to me about comics? Yeah, like, I mean, back in the day, it was it was all superhero books, and I mean, heroes. Heroes were great to look up to and and uh, aspire to. So, 
there was a lot of uh, escapism involved in that and trying to identify with certain characters when you're not really represented. And back in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't a whole lot of representation as far as uh, black characters, black superheroes, not to say there weren't any. And I did uh, tend to gravitate towards those. I, I read about Falcon and um, uh, Luke Cage and all those characters at Marvel, but I was really an X-Men fan. And X-Men, I, I think, speaks to uh, the disenfranchised and the, the, the oppressed and the people who feel like they don't belong and that's all teenagers. So, I mean, that's really when it struck a chord with me and I really started to identify with the, the, the stories and the books and, and, and the characters and you get your favorites and all that. So my, my collecting really picked up when I was a teenager and, and X-Men was probably the, the, the main culprit because of that. So. And back then, uh, was Claremont still on the book oh, when yeah. you were collecting? Yeah, yeah, no, this is Claremont's run for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then in the 90s, like early 90s, it was like the best-selling book, right? Yeah, I mean... Man, I, I don't know the numbers too well, but I know that there's, you know, the, the stories of the, the, the orders for that book and that there's warehouses still sitting somewhere with the stacks of X-Men number one with Jim Lee covers on them somewhere because they, they printed so many of them. It was a big deal. X-Men was a big deal. It, yeah, still, it still is, but I mean, it's now competing uh, not from a publishing standpoint, but from the movie standpoint, right? Right. Because, I mean, you have you have the Avengers and all those uh, other characters that, that Marvel wasn't looking to push because they pushed X-Men and they pushed Fantastic Four first, right? right. Those were their big money sellers. And uh, you now have the publishing of the book competing with the, the movies that are out right now. And uh, whether or not the, the publishing is getting any benefits from that is still, I guess the, the, the there's still time to find out what's going to happen. Like right. nobody knows what, how that's going to turn around. And yet, I mean, but, they uh, sold off X-Men and Fantastic Four at a time when they were desperate for money. Like they were in bankruptcy, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So they sold off the movie rights to other studios way before they had any clue that they would make their own yeah. studio, right? The, the, if they, if they knew this was the way it was going to develop, I, can imagine negotiations being different, but, uh, but I mean, I think everybody has gotten something out of it. Right. I mean, and again, I'm so far removed from all that stuff that's happening, happening. So all I know is what I read about and, yeah. and what I see and, and I enjoy the movies for what they are. I mean, you, that's, that's really the point of it in the end. I mean, I'm not, uh, uh, gaining any benefit from the movies being out there one way or another it's just it's it's cool to watch everybody when i was younger i wanted to see live action superhero characters so, so to see them on the screen is it's always cool i i'm, I'm a fan of of every most of the things that have come out <laughs> right yeah yeah not, right. not not all of them but but some of them have been pretty solid movies you you mentioned seeing yourself in in comics mm -hmm. as, a, as a black canadian mm -hmm. and I know that there were like some characters like Black Panther and like Black Lightning that had black in their yeah. name. Do you think differently about those characters just because of the there's sort of an exploitation factor to, yeah. at least to the name, right? I read some outsiders stuff back in the day so I knew Black Lightning but nothing really solid. I knew Black Panther though. Mhm. Mm I mean, even back then, I found something weird about the fact that, hey, why do all the black characters have black in front of their name, right? It, right. It's, is it not obvious? But uh, I would find it strange, I guess, for somebody to make a character now right. <laughs> with uh, black as a, as a prefix to their names. So, um, but 
whether or not we were just, I guess, more forgiving or just understood, oh, we un- we get why you did that. But it's it's so much part of their characters now right? Uh, that it's sort of hard to sift that out. I can't really separate the name from the character. I like Black Panther for, yeah. for, for was you know and, and it's it, it's had some some rough patches that that entire ips had some had some rough patches as most do you know it's it's popularity it's sales it's all those things and you try and do something different and gain new readers and not everything catches not by the fault of the creators at all it's just we're trying something to see if people will like it this time right but right. um it's difficult to really separate the character from i think those names now the only thing i really didn't like was Black Vulcan from Super Friends. And I've said this before, just because he sucked so much. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't stand Black Vulcan on the superheroes. His costume was awful. And, and I knew he was supposed to be Black Lightning and they couldn't use him. So, yeah. And, and for him to be the main Black superhero on an all-superhero team, uh, the, the, the biggest superhero cartoon uh, back in the... 70s and 80s was was disheartening a bit but uh yeah you know you you enjoy the heroes for what they are and you at some point you you still uh get caught up in the adventures and the and the the altruistic nature of these of these characters so you 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 make do you you learn a lot of making do right exactly um so how did you go from being a fan to wanting to do this professionally at one point, I just said that maybe I should look into how I can break in. And because I had isolated myself from the industry from a from a creator standpoint, I didn't know the first thing about breaking in. All I knew is that I could draw, and I thought that that would be enough. So uh, I sort of was almost holding it in my back pocket. You know, you're, I, I was young. I'm stupid. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a dumb baby. And it was and, it just that you were just so passionate as a fan that you're like, I want to, I want to do this because not, every, not everybody who collects comics is like, I want to. I don't in even this. necessarily know if it was passion. It was just like I said, I knew I could draw. Yeah, uh, I, and I was like, well, there's an outlet for me here. Right, right? this mm-hmm. is something that I can turn into something. So when I'm ready, the industry will want me, and I'll, you know. I'll start drawing comics. It seemed that that black and white to me in in my younger foolish days. Uh, turn around and I started going to my first few conventions, and I see all these artists that have been you know plugging away at it for years, and they they have these extensive portfolios and all these amazing pieces that I've never even attempted to try and do. Right. So what, what time frame is this? Like, when did you start going this to is, conventions? This was late nineties, early two thousands, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. I was still in university then. And so, what uh, did you take for university? Journalism. Journalism. Yeah. I, I'm a journalism graduate. There you go. Yeah. As a journalist, I make a really good comic book artist. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the real turning point was seeing how far I had to go to make a portfolio, to even get to the level of some of these guys and no disrespect, cause I'm, I'm not naming any names or saying anybody, but seeing guys in the industry and I got to, st- to stand there and talk to them and they're telling me their story and they're telling me, you know, how hard it is to break in and how they even haven't, haven't had their first shot yet either. And I'm looking at their stuff. I'm like, why, why not? How could you not be working on 
the largest title offered right now. Like, well, why aren't you on X-Men? Why aren't you on, you know, why don't you have your own image book? Like your stuff is amazing, right? That was humbling. That was, that was eye-opening. And, and I'm thankful that I had that experience and I didn't have the opportunity to really just shut all the doors in front of me by saying something stupid to an editor one day without actually speaking to other artists out there and um, hearing their story Mm -hmm. and seeing their work and seeing their effort afterwards uh, and in touring the convention aisles a little further i ran into a bunch of guys from bright anvil studios Bright Anvil was a studio that was set up in Toronto. Uh, yeah, we had Marvin Law. Marvin, yeah. Marvin's one of my good buddies. Two episodes. There you go. And so, and Marvin was already at the studio, I think, at the time. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, really where it turned around because Bright Anvil was able to, sh- able to show me, you know, how to produce a book. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the people there, uh, Logan and Marvin and all those guys, they'd been putting books together for a while already. So, uh, getting a chance to shadow them and 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 learn from those guys uh, and start to digest all these pieces of the industry now in ways that hadn't even been offered up to me before. Right, and like Adrian um, Alfono was there. Adrian was there, yeah. And I think it was. I think Marvin told us a story that like it was while he was at Bright Anvil that like Brian K. Vaughn selected him for the Runaways. That's correct. That's right? absolutely right. Yeah. That he told us this crazy story that he like went to a convention and he was part of like the up and coming slush pile that Brian K. Vaughn like went through. And no doubt. Marvin said he didn't know how to do a team book, like, like showing multiple people in, in this, I guess in the same place. And mm-hmm. Marvin said that he like sort of helped him, figure that out mm-hmm, you know because mm-hmm. this was the shot basically yeah so yeah I, so there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things that came out of uh, bright anvil for sure it was a very educational time for for a lot of us and you know i'm still close with a lot of those cats now so we're all doing our best to work and and make our own paths in the industry now right from from things that we that we picked up from our time there but bright anvil isn't around anymore you guys no. were publishing your own books Oh man, we had, there was a couple things on the go. Uh, yeah. And Dark Horse picked up one of uh, the licenses from Bright Anvil, which was Outlaw 7. Besides that, I mean, there was talk. There was always talk of publishing our own stuff, but I mean, publishing is not cheap. So I don't think it ever really uh, got past the the uh, the brainstorming stage, let's say. Were right? you doing your own indie book at the time or... I was trying to develop a couple things at the studio. I mean, because we, we had writers in-house too, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to be able to sit down and jam with some of these guys and come up with some ideas. But uh, again, uh, in looking back at that and looking back at how long and hard it took me to actually do a book, I, I understand it was because of the world building aspect of it. World building is not easy. I'm going through it on Pitch Planet right now, and it's it's <laughs> it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is try and build an entire. Uh, we're not even grounded on Earth. There's a whole other planet that I have to deal with now too, is uh, visually speaking, and and it's it's not easy. Right. So um, especially when they like, if they get out of the prison, then you got to be like, what's yeah, outside of here? Yeah, what'll happen if they get out of the prison? Yeah. Hmm. exactly (laughs) exactly right so you're at brain anvil you're doing your things how did you get your first like legit gig i got a a spider-man book with marvel uh that was uh through the studio 
and when you say through the studio were did they just like recommend you or they were at that point i th- i think the the idea for bright anvil was to uh market itself like in like a like back in mid 2000s there art houses like udon and and dreamwave and all that were around and and i think the idea was for bright anvil to sort of fall into that same vein that editors can have a project uh, like a work for hire project and then they could find this studio and there's a number of different uh people mm. available at the studio at the time right who can take on the project kind of so a little bit like how raid is sort of because people have gotten work because other people that are working on books that work in that studio maybe have, have i'm not entirely sure if that's accurate because all of those raid guys are are and 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 gals are very well established True. and and yeah. they're also distinct and so creatively motivated on their own that i don't know if they would need that type of 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 structure to to keep working right. it may or may not work like that but i don't i'm i'm going to go out on a limb and say i don't believe it is okay the the idea was to just not be bigger than the studio i guess that it was it was supposed to be a bright anvil's production or something right. like that right, right. Like, cuz i i remember there was a lot of places that used to tag their creators from like say it's like guru fx studios right if they were doing the the, the colors or, or like comic craft as far as the lettering goes right there they had a lot of guys who used to work there but they used to put the 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 studio or the business name within the credits yeah first. because they, yeah because they wanted it to to you know look like this is a, a an in-house production yeah, right brand, we, it's like a branding thing exactly yeah. so that's sort of how the, the my, my my first gig came about with with Marvel. There's a few books there, and then I was able to at least use some of that to to leverage off of getting some work outside of the studio. So that's where Four and X Factor eventually came about. Cool, yeah. And being an X Men fan from back in the day, mm-hmm. X Factor must have been quite the thrill for you. Yeah, yeah. No, X Factor was cool. I mean, uh. A lot of solid characters and getting the chance to work with peter david that was that was incredible uh yeah was all the stuff that got you where you are like sort of a, a learning on the job thing like natural combined with like your natural talents or did you ever go for like training or continuing education in in art and drawing and I, like I mean my my education i guess was sort of i picked up what i could from anybody who was willing to to show me at that point, uh, it was a lot of uh, catching master classes at conventions and through the studio and places like that, and and you know opening up what I could as far as finding my own books and 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 instructional guides to learn from and and practice. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to uh, downplay the significance of anybody who's going to uh, any sort of schools or or anything like that. I think that those are all everybody sort of finds their own path. Very Eventually, um, uh, depending on, I guess, how much you want to get to that 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 point in the finish line, and and for me, I don't, I don't ever see myself getting to the finish line. I feel like this is all just, uh, this is all progress. This is all me still learning and still still learning how to hone my craft. I, I think that I'll be doing that uh, forever. 
that's why I asked the question, because I know a lot of people who listen to this probably want to get into comics at some point. But what Don't I'm learning, I mean, the more I do this, is is people have their own path. Everyone has mm-hmm. their own path. There's no one way to get into this industry. Not at all. Not at all. And for some people, it for everybody, for everybody, I don't even want to say that because I was going to make some sort of uh, inference to, to, to lightning in a bottle and people get becoming overnight successes. I don't think that that ever really happens. Uh, I think that you can get onto a really hot, popular project that happens to uh, hit on some very relevant social buttons, i.e. what's happening with me right now. But that being said, it doesn't take away from anybody's natural ability to draw and create and to be powerful storytellers. And that's something that, that everybody, I think, has to work hard. I, I don't know if anybody that I know would say that that just comes naturally to them. I think that for the most part, whether they're being humble or or, or what, I can't think of anybody right now who would say that that drawing comics is easy for them. Right. I think it's it's hard work for, for all of us and all of us are still trying to find new ways and great ways to tell stories within the, 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 the confines of these panels on, on the pages. And it's, it's, it's always a challenge, but it's one that we, we all really enjoy. I think that's the other thing I could say for most artists is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't probably be doing this if we didn't enjoy telling these stories as much as we did. It's awesome. And I think, you know, from my experience doing these interviews, Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the overnight sensation, label is more of a media perception thing absolutely because yeah i think most guys that i've talked to that have that have been stuck with that mm-hmm. find it annoying because yeah. it, it invalidates all of the toil that they'd been doing 100%. for years before that yeah and it's i sort of understand that you know okay media you didn't see this artist yesterday and now you see them today and so they're a big thing and this must have happened instantly and and it's it is annoying it is almost lazy to think something like that that you wouldn't actually go out and do a little more legwork to find out how long this artist uh has been trying to break in how long he or she has has been hitting conventions and talking to editors and how many portfolios they've gone through. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And for them to just, that they would by whatever circumstance hit a very popular project and then for it to take off, uh, that does not necessarily reflect the fact that that artist just started working the day before. right? Right. So how long did it take you to get your first gig from the time that you thought I want to do, I want to do this about four years, I think, give or take. That's a long, that's a long. Yeah. It was a lot of, again, a lot of portfolios, but I I had to learn. I had to learn. It's one thing to be able to draw in your sketchbook and do whatever it is you want to do. Right. And for people to come around and tell you, Hey, that, that looks really good. You know, you're not getting any (laughs) positive criticism. You're not, you're not getting any constructive criticism. Rather you're basically just drawing whatever it is you want to draw it's it's your own little sequestered uh, 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 safe island where nobody's going to tell you that comics is not an option for you right. uh, so for you to venture off of that now and and learn how to 
not draw a character floating in dead space and actually put them in an environment and actually engaging the environment. And then now in doing that, now a sequence has to happen within that environment. That's, that's, that's a whole new game. And a lot of us have to turn around and, and, and learn that very quickly if we want to uh, actually make some sort of living at creating comics. Nice. Yeah. So, Tell me about your your X Factor experience. Like as a fan of the X Men, mm-hmm. what was it like to to work on that book? Who were you working with? Like how was it? You know, doing it that sort of thing. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I had the chance. Like I said, Peter David, uh, who I'd followed as a fan uh, long before uh, I'd even thought that I'd break into the industry, uh, and he uh, writes some of the most effortless scripts I've ever had the fortune of working on. He gives you enough instruction to know what you have to draw and he pulls back enough in the scripts to give you some opportunity to to expand and 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 explore and and draw what it is you want. So that was great. Uh I had a few inkers on the book, Andrew Hennessy, who was great. Uh we didn't get the chance to work enough, but uh but I, I enjoyed his his uh, collaborating with him. I worked with Craig Young. Craig Young was uh, also one of the members at Bright Anvil too, uh, and one of the creators on the Bitch Planet triple feature. Mm-hmm. I also worked with Pat Davidson. Pat Davidson is probably the the anchor I worked with the longest. Pat is a really good guy. I, I consider him a really really good friend. I mean that was that was really great that the that that X Factor brought me uh, friends like that to you know have have relationships with outside of the book too so that was that was amazing who else was there jeremy cox and and uh jody jody uh was the the editor on the book and he's just put out a shirtless bear fighter oh yeah yeah over, I saw at, over at image yeah so, i saw that yesterday yeah. the wednesday this is thursday when we're recording this mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yesterday mm-hmm. was when that came out, and yeah. people have been talking about it. Everybody, uh, everybody, pick it up! Everything. Everybody, pick it up! Shirtless bear fighter. It's 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 incredible, and I'm 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 very happy to see Jody on the stands with that too. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. So, so yeah, it was, it was it was a good group. We we all worked really hard on on that book, and we had our own little corner of the X universe that we didn't really get to get. Uh, 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 bogged down with too many crossovers and all that. So we, we Peter was able to tell a, a really strong narrative and with uh, some solid, solid characters. And knowing that they're making a movie of it, do you think about it differently? Is it weird having worked on the book to think about it in a different way than just like a fan who comes to it? It the- may have been while I was on it. Now that I've been so far removed from it, I, I, I've come to the the more uh accepting space that it was work for hire and as attached as i was to those characters while i was working on the book in stepping back and when my run was done i mean someone else takes over the book right and they're somebody else's characters they're under somebody else's charge at that point so uh it sort of feels the same way in that regard i i think that uh uh you can distance yourself from the characters once you stopped working just because they 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 weren't really yours to begin with and they're not top of mind anymore no anymore. no and i mean I, and i don't mean to say that in a in a negative way i guess i'm not trying to to uh uh be flippant or anything yeah yeah the, 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 it's it's really just 
is something that that is the the truth it's just the reality of the situation they're, they're not your characters you can you 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 can either look back fondly at the time that you spent with them and 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 the the, the scenes the stories that you got to draw and then you you move on from there but I know a lot of creators don't like to look at their past work because they they've come so far, they've improved so much. Sure, since yeah, then. I are see you that. are you one of those people? I don't look at my old stuff on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I may come across it, but uh, I am always trying to to do new things and and find new ways to you know be a storyteller. I think that uh, it's nice when I can look back at some of those things and say, "Hey, that wasn't a bad idea that I had there. Maybe I should try something like that again." Uh, that doesn't happen too often. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, if I come across it, uh, uh, either accidentally or otherwise, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, I don't fall into a depression <laughs> because yeah, I've yeah. seen my old stuff or anything, but, uh, the understanding that you can, your abilities change for better or for worse as right. you it's progress as an artist. Evolution. Yeah. You're going to grow. Uh, some people could tell you, Hey, we liked your old stuff better, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's also, again, the, the, the creative aspect of this is, is moving into, uh, new areas that, that you feel challenged in and that you feel, uh, that you want to explore as a, as an artist. So I'm, I'm, I'm more or less comfortable with where I am, but you can never be too comfortable. How did, uh, Marvel Knights 4 come to you? Pretty much the same way. Okay. Just again, uh, 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 nagging editors. Mm-hmm. And you know, getting somebody to to respond to your emails and the 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 slew of papers of uh, portfolio samples that you're sending their way and and I think one of them just kind of struck one day. So I, I I got a call for a fill in, and the fill in somehow just turned into me being on the book for a while. I don't think it ever was officially, hey, you're the new artist. It was just, here's the next script. So, and I, working. Know, I know that initially, like, the Marvel Knights imprint was supposed to be, like, a little bit outside of main continuity. Yeah. Did, did that afford you guys a little bit more freedom? And, and was that experience a little different, a little more freeing than the main universe? I, I think by the time I got on the book... Because I do remember the 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 premise behind Marvel Knights Four originally, uh, that they go broke and they have to find regular jobs and all that stuff, right? So Reed's teaching or Sue was teaching or something like that. Yeah, I remember the original premise, but by the time I got on the book, I think that had been resolved because they were back at the Baxter Building by the time I yeah was so on it. The yeah, the Fantastic was coming back. The Fantastic was back. They were they were they were all you know all cylinders were firing and and uh, patents were <laughs> were sold and they they made some money I guess and and the it was it was pretty much a classic Fantastic Four run as far as when I was on it because they they had all the gadgets they were in the baxter building they they went up with the inhumans first and yeah i remember that doctor strange a bunch of different you know just just yeah, regular it just became yeah. another fantastic Four it became book. another fantastic four book yeah but I, I was not complaining about that at all i was i was quite happy to draw those characters you're listening to speech bubble we'll be right back this episode of speech bubble is sponsored by harry tarantula 
go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to HarryT.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. In terms of your process, like I know that like the script informs the artist mm-hmm. of like what you're supposed to draw, obviously, like black and white, but but what else informs you? Like when it's when it's characters that you've been reading or that you're familiar with, mm-hmm. does any of your uh fan dreams or things that you've always wanted to do ever come into it or like the way that you think about these characters how do you get into the headspace to to draw to draw them oh yeah well, i i think yeah that pretty much happens with all of us i, I i'm seeing that uh, uh, uh assuming a lot of other artists but you know you've been you probably if if you have not sketched any of those characters beforehand you've probably got a a version of them in your head that you'd like to see like who doesn't see Wolverine in a certain way, right? Or, or in this instance, like the thing or the Human Torch. So, I mean, I really, I remember really liking Stuart Immonen's version of the thing because he had just come off when I got on. I think that Ultimate Fantastic Four was on was was out too. Uh, so, I really liked his his version of of Ben and uh, Human Torch. I really liked the effect that I saw in in Marvels. Right, like the painted book, uh, the the Alex Ross painted yeah, book, right? With the so, fire, yeah, painted fire. I was like, oh, okay, so that's that looks like a dude on fire now. So I I wanted to try my best to to replicate something like that as well. Uh, so yeah, you see all of those things, and you 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 want to put your own stamp on it too, and that's that's where the challenge and the and the fun comes in, I think. How much of your style is maintained through all the books you do, and how much of your style is dependent on? the type of book you're doing, like the fact that it's Fantastic Four, or the fact that it's uh, X Factor or that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's the type of book. Okay. I think I try my best to, I mean, I did a, I did a, a two-issue run on Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane with uh, Sean McKeever, and that required a very open and, uh, it required less rendering, uh, let's say that, and, and almost no shadows involved which is almost the opposite of the way i i approach a page for the most part as a as an artist and especially if you get a work for hire project and they they give you the terms and the stipulations and you understand especially if it's a, a an established book if it's been a, a book that's been on the stands for quite some time and it's already got a look they're not necessarily calling on you to revolutionize that look sometimes especially for a fill-in they just want you to uh, 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 fill the space and and make sure that it's not a major hiccup for the reader right so sometimes you approach projects like that sometimes you're, you're given a lot more freedom to do what it is you want to do uh it, it it depends on the circumstances especially that that i think is early on and when you haven't necessarily given yourself a a strong voice which i didn't do so i was just jumping around from from book to book just just uh uh trying to find some gigs after four is mm-hmm. that basically where you found yourself jumping around or uh it was four then x factor right okay. yeah i think potentially so. yeah it wasn't that long ago i should remember that and yeah then then i i 
you know, you start to explore some some other projects with other publishers as well too. Uh, just trying to to keep your name out there and get work where you can find it. At at, at a certain point, though, I was I think on four, I was able to draw a little closer to what I wanted at that point. Uh, and X Factor as well. On X Factor, I think X Factor is where I think I it, it really became uh, uh, clear to me that I I did like working with heavy shadows and and trying to mess with lighting. So uh, that's your voice, like stylistically. You I, think? I guess so. I mean, I I don't I don't necessarily know how much I think about the 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 voice as much as it is just trying to find a a, a rendering style that 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 fits me and fits the situation. I can't necessarily change how I draw. I don't know. I don't know if my stuff is that distinct from anybody else's. I don't know if anybody would point my stuff out from anyone else's on the stands. I, I whether that's a lack of confidence in my own work or if it's uh, just being inside my work so much that I can't differentiate it from from anything right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really just trying to, to 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 tell the story. I think that's that's always been, uh, as far as I'm concerned, my my number one job when I get any sort of project in front of me is that my what's on me is to tell the story properly and make sure that uh, there's no lack of flow or, or, or that the writer isn't given enough room to, to tell the story that they need to tell. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be a, a collaboration, right? And I don't want my style or anything like that, whatever that is, to, to, to overpower the fact that somebody's holding a comic book and they, they need to, to read a story. So that's, that's, that's really my, my only goal. What comes out of that, I guess, is, is whatever makes my work visually distinct, but uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, it's, good. it's good, though, because yeah. it means you're adaptable. It means that, like... Writers can work with you and you're not going to like try to push your own style on them too much necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, again, the, the, the idea of style, and I don't know how much that, that, that's, uh, something that, that artists think about too much at this stage. Um, it is something that I know really preoccupies up and coming artists or, or artists who are trying to break into the industry that they, they feel like they need to have a very, distinct voice and distinct style but i think that you being able to draw <laughs> you being able to be a solid storyteller has to come first you could put all of the uh pretty flourishes that you want on top of a page but if you have no idea how to draw a building then uh none of that's going to hold up so right and comic artists are mercenaries right for the most part for like the most part yeah i mean uh, I, I had to abandon that that ideal and and start to I'm I'm lucky enough now to be in a in more of a position where I can pick and choose. Yeah, I I, I, w- I want to get to that. Like, yeah. How did you How did you meet Kelly Sudeikonik? How did Bitch Planet come to you? How, how did that big project Yeah uh, happen? Because that is what afforded you the ability to pick and choose, right? Ke- um, yes and no. I mean, Kelly Sue and I. We met at one of the fan expos here a few years ago, and she was walking up and down the aisles. This story has been told a few times, so I apologize for anybody else who's, who's, who, who may or may not have heard it. Uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it uh, as brief as I can. But There's always new listeners. There's always new listeners. So uh, uh, what happened was uh, Kelly Sue was, was walking around Artist Alley at this fan expo, uh, call it five years ago. 
give or take, maybe, maybe less, maybe four years ago. And she stopped by my table and took a look at my portfolio. Uh, she enjoyed most of the work that I, I, I had in there, I assume. So, um, uh, that was when we started talking about, she had just started some work at Marvel and she was about to start on Captain Marvel, like her run on Captain Marvel. She hadn't even started that yet. So, uh, we tried to get together to do some work for higher work at Marvel, but there was just timing issues, maybe more issues, but, uh, we, we're, we're going to chalk it up to timing issues. And so from there, we just kept a, a, a dialogue going. What was online. on the table? Like, what were you about to do that you didn't, that you didn't end up doing? Or are you allowed to say, man, I can, I can, or what, what the, the project that at Kelly Mar- Sue had? Or, inter- yeah. Like in terms of like, you said we were going to do I some may, work for our, I may or may not have been in the running for Captain Marvel okay. at that point, but I don't, I don't know if that is true or not. That, that may or may not be Kelly Sue sort of alluded to something that she was putting my name forward for, but I don't know if if that was it or not. She's never really confirmed or denied that. But either way, I mean, we just started uh, keeping a, a a dialogue going online, and I did open it up to her to say that if you want to work on something like start developing a creator owned idea, that would be awesome because I would really like to work with you one day, and that piqued her interest, and she. Uh, a little while later, she said, okay, we can start on something from scratch if you want, because she has no problem doing that. But she's like, I had a few of these ideas on the go. I'm going to write them down here and let me know what you think of them. And one of those ideas was Bitch Planet, right? And I said, well, that's got to be a book I got to be on, did right? It, did, so did she just give you the title or was it the description? She gave me or? the title and she gave me like a quick uh, rundown. It was like one sentence. It was It was really quick. It was just really the gist of it. Right. So I was like, man, that's that dystopian prison planet. That was the one with a feminist bent. That was, that was pretty much it. And we had been talking again beforehand about the, how much we love grindhouse films. And I remember we had a, a conversation about that, just loving the, the, the women in prison genre and, uh, you know, the, the conflicts that arise from enjoying these types of movies as well. But, um, when she presented this, I'm like, man, this is, this is it. This has to be the one that we get off the ground. So, flash forward a little bit and she finished her run on pretty deadly and eric stevenson over at image asked kelly sue okay so what's next pretty deadly went really well we want to get you back on the stands do you have anything else for me and i had just talked to her and said that i'm totally on board for bitch planet and she said i'm going to tell eric and i said go for it let's do it right so she presented it she she pitched it to him and he said i would very much like to publish a book called bitch planet and, and that was it. What is the magic of Bitch Planet, do you think? I mean, for me, it's it's sort of the supplanting of what the women in prison genre is supposed to be. Hmm. But, uh, like, in the exploitation sense, like, in the, in the classic exploitation sense. But, but what right. for you is why does bitch planet work and like why why has it hit what speaks to you about what what she's doing what you both are doing why it works i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) i'm again would defer that to kelly sue because she's so much smarter than me so maybe she knows other than the fact that it is overflowing with with relevancy right now there's also not that we had anything to do with it, but there was just also a 
real desire out there for books of this nature. Um, and not women in prison exploitation no. books, but but potentially books that that address intersectionalist feminism and 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 uh, diverse castes. Mm-hmm diverse body shapes. I mean, all of these things. And then giving it a very satirical edge. I think that there was, uh, I think that there was an audience out there for that. I think I just read something on the beat that Heidi put out that listed, I think the top five ordered trades, I think for last month. And uh, the second volume of Bitch Planet was on there along with a couple Wonder Woman trades. There were just some very, very progressive progressive books that that you could argue are targeted for i i I hate using the word targeted for women but uh would be of interest book that would be of interest because they 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 may or may not have a cast (laughs) that would be a little more reflective of something that they would want to read. Um, maybe I could say that. I hope people understand what I'm trying to say and what I'm not trying to say right now, because words is not so good for me. I mean, it was just something that, that sort of flies in the, the face of the idea that that uh, there is no audience for diversity. There's no audience for uh, books that, that have a, a strong female cast that doesn't have to center around a superpowers or superheroes or 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 men or men or men's problems uh, that it can be more than that that there's room in the industry for more i think that that's always been our argument is that we're telling we're 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 creating the book kelly sue and i and everybody who's on the book right now uh, uh kelly fitzpatrick who's my colorist and she's amazing uh clayton cowles the letterer he's he is the the go-to guy and the the anchor and the mvp of the book every single time uh, our editor lauren sankovich she is uh the smartest person in comics i'm hyping you all up we're all putting a book together that we want to see that we want to read right and then you top it off with this uh back matter that lauren mccubbin is creating with kelly sue i mean it's it's amazing it's it's just this amazing little package that that i think is that there's a solid audience out there for we're we're really just trying to make something that i think people want to read because we want to read it and i feel like people are more aware socially than they've ever been before like as much as we have the the debates in terms of you know right wing and left wing and you know whatever your politics are and that sort of thing i think Mm. a few years ago like some of this stuff wouldn't have been talked about in the same way or, or would have been passed over a little bit more but i would i would almost chalk that up to social media in a sense and this is just my opinion. I, I yeah, totally. You're here for your opinion. I don't. I don't know from things, but um, I I think that people just have the ability to say things that can be heard now. People have the ability to record things that generally wouldn't have been recorded, and now we get all this video of uh you know, these these despicable heinous acts out there. So there's now not only a voice to it but there's video footage in high def that can be put onto youtube and people will click take something like compton back in in 
the 90s and you had your your uh groups from like like nwa and and public enemy and all of these uh rappers that that are talking about police brutality and violence and 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 murders and and how systemic this is but all they could do was make music about it because there was no footage to back them up the little bit of footage that you got it wasn't enough to uh really support their claims now i can't imagine what would have happened if they had iphones back then and they could or if they had if if any of them had a smartphone and they could record all this stuff i mean it would be a completely different scene right now and as a result of that environment like people are learning yeah right there's there's a heavy backlash but there's a heavy backlash because a certain population is trying to cling yeah. to the old ways. People right? are learning is is they they should be learning. <laughs> right. They should be learning more. A lot of people are still turning a blind eye towards a lot of it. I mean, I I watched that uh, that Philando Castile video of the the dashboard cam right. from the police officer's car, and I I wish I didn't have to watch that yeah i feel like i had to watch it but i wish that i didn't it's just because you see it and you see how everything happens and then you step back and you realize a, a a jury and a judge saw this too and they came to the conclusion that they did it's just it's it's I, I don't even have the words for that. Yeah, I, I never right? realized like how hard people would cling to a status quo, status quo, right? In really, spite of reality, really right? hard. <laughs> it's, it's it's probably uh, one of the things that you can sort of set your watch to. It's just that people are are always going to try and hold on to the power that they have. And back to our book, I mean, this, it's something that reflects in our book too. It's just, it's, it's seeing the extreme measures that, uh, uh, a heavily patriarchal society will go through to make sure that, uh, that their voice and their influence and their privilege is never encroached on. Right. So and publicly under the guise of, we're helping you. Yeah, this is good for you. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So that's that's always that's always the way of yeah. of of most dictatorships. <laughs> and and I hesitate to say that it's a dystopian future because a lot of what's in it is not far away from where what what we're living now. No, if you're a woman or a minority or or that sort of thing, right? I I I hope it's very far away. Again, it's it's not something that we're we want to predict, but w- women haven't had it easy for a long time. So, uh, uh, as far as groups that that are are trying to work through the the the, the challenges that have been presented for 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 a very long time, I wanted to use the word centuries, and that may not be inaccurate. You know, it's 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 a struggle that 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 has maintained and and maintained its its uh, uh, fervent or pet. that's a good word. I may use that word again today. Fervent. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 
In terms of your 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 collaboration, in the case of Bitch Planet, you get to be the co-creator. So you get mm-hmm. you get story input. Like, how does it usually work between yeah, you guys? We we're trying to. Uh, Kelly Sue said it very nicely, and 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 I do appreciate that in the sense that you know if she wanted to tell a story by herself, she would have written a novel, right? In comics, it's a collaboration. So we we get together and we we talk about some some things. Uh, she has a, a whole lot of heavy lifting to do as far as trying to mold the plot and get the scripts together and all that. But we do have sessions where we we sit down and try and uh, map out the longer the 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 overreaching arc for the 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 story and the narrative itself like where we're trying to get to from one issue to the next so like long phone conversations pretty much i mean we'll 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 go through a lot of that so much has changed like since we started talking to because the story is almost writing itself as well and that damn election that they had down south there too changed a lot of the things that we wanted to do as well but uh yeah president bitch seems yeah as relevant this is the second arc yeah you know it seemed like a hillary clinton allegory sort of thing right who would have thought (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was uh it was it was definitely something that we thought was going to go in a different direction at one point and it made i think it for for a few of us it made making that arc especially particularly hard just because it was all it's just all way too vivid it was just way too real uh a lot of things that were going on were just poignant it was just there so what what, how could we actually be paralleling what's happening right now this is this is weird (laughs) and scary but yeah totally i mean you mentioned earlier about world building. How did you make some of the choices that you made? Because you finally get the opportunity to world build here. What informed some of the choices you made in terms of building the world? Well, we wanted to keep it in that uh, grindhouse vein. And for me, grindhouse film sort of extends like past the 70s to the 80s and, and your weird sci-fi films like uh, and classic sci-fi films like Robocop and Total Recall and 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 things like that, where they were trying to uh, uh, predict the future in those movies, but they still had those big CRT monitors and, and all those really, really outdated tech that would look strange now, but it sort of made it look like the future, you know? They'd take cars and just put lots of lights on them. So I wanted to I wanted to make sure that we had that, that campy kind of space 1999 type of look uh, to a lot of the, the visuals, like a low-budget sci-fi movie almost. But it can't be a low-budget sci-fi movie because we have to sort of dress it up and make it a little more visually interesting too because it's a comic. Uh, so I'm trying to find the balance there. We're only 10 issues in, which is the funny thing about it. Uh, as long as I've been on the book, it, it feels like it should have been fully fleshed out yet. But but uh, scenes like the Earth and even a lot of the planet itself, we haven't really had the chance to explore visually yet. Uh, but you're going to. We're going to. We're going to definitely uh, uh, see a little bit more. And, and that all of that will help sort of connecting some of these dots that I think I have in my head right now about the visuals. Um, but right now we're trying to maintain 
a certain look for the planet, a certain look for the, the, the facility itself for the, for the actual uh, compliance outpost, which we spent, I think, the majority of our time right now. And again, just the, 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 the idea that we want to make sure that our, our cast looks and reflects women. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, I I don't want to uh, shy away from any body types while I'm working on this title. So I'm, I'm trying to explore as many as I can. So like a lot of reference and stuff. A lot of reference. Yeah. I mean, and the reference isn't that hard to find, but uh, it's, it's one of the, the, the strongest things that we try to push right now is that uh the they are all our sisters type of message that we 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 just actually uh, Kelly Sue wrote that for the cover of the 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 pride uh variant for bitch planet triple feature number 1 it's just a message of of inclusiveness and it's just a message of of embracing uh women as women mm-hmm. right uh and i think that that's that's something I'm, I, I feel very fortunate to be a part of. I, I'm, I appreciate the fact that I get to explore and uh, understand what that means as as well. Um, as a guy? As a guy, yeah. Is it, it, is it I don't want to say difficult, mm-hmm. but is it more challenging to put yourself in that in that headspace? Like, how do you come to feminism as a guy is more the general question that I want to ask. You know, I thought it'd be harder. <sighs> But it's not uh, if you sort of hold on to certain key values and think that everybody should get the same opportunities and, and, and rights and freedoms that one set of people enjoys. I mean, that should, that should be transferable to all set of pe- to, to, to everybody, to all sets of peoples. <laughs> so, um, and you, I, you've had a minority experience, so that informs. Well, it as well, yeah, too, right? and that that's sort of been the interesting dichotomy that, that that Kelly Sue and I have had because she has she has privileges as a white person, but you know she is a woman. I have some as a man, but I am black. So that kind of energy right now, we're we're trying our best to play off of it, and and you know we haven't finished our story yet, so I'm not entirely sure where it's gonna where it's gonna end up. But I think that we're we're finding a good uh, uh, synergy between. Uh, understanding our our privilege and also acknowledging uh, the areas where our privileges have been uh, restricted. And a lot of that, too, can be addressed and parsed out in the back matter. Like, if there's something that you guys are uncomfortable with your position Mm -hmm. in, like an issue or something like that, Mm -hmm. you can always write about it honestly in in the back if you need to. Yeah, again, the the back matter has given us some, some amazing essays uh, some really uh, touching and insightful letters from our readers. Uh, and it gives Kelly Sue and all of us who work on the book really some space to to talk about the, the not issue, but the, the struggles and the conflicts that, that we may come up with just working on a particular issue. You know, that something may just uh, really be bubbling over just because of a particular topic that we've handled in that issue. And we, we can use that space to hone in on it, give it a little more air, give it a little more spotlight if we need to. And, and, uh, 
take it from there. Just open up the discussion. I think the discussion is important. Yeah, because I remember reading her election night essay. Yeah. And, that, and in the context of President Bitch, where they're rescuing, I guess, like the f- in your comic, it's like the first female leader of the United States from there, prison. There is no, there is no America at that point. Okay. But it's, yeah, it's a very, she's a very, uh, she got elected to a very high office in the in the new protectorate. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And then she got put in prison for it. And they all thought that she died, but but not. Yes. Right. I, I, I can't tell you anymore. Okay, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. So so reading her essay, like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. The happening on election night is, is definitely gives a different context to any other comic that might have been addressing that issue of, of the election. Then, you know, you guys have a power that not many other books have potentially um i i think that uh really we're 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 using the the platform that we have to tell the story that i think we want to tell our readership gives us a lot of power yeah what is Um, the fan response because it's insane like there's people that have adopted the non-compliant yeah uh, symbol and idea as a mantra like we are all non-compliant yeah and that again it's it's more of something that existed long before the book so uh to be a part of that movement is humbling uh if nothing else um we're just speaking to something that has existed it predates the book uh, even coming out. It's one of the reasons why the book is out. It's one of the reasons why the book is doing well. Um, again, because the audience uh, gives it that sense of of, of uh, agency, right? So it's it's um, it's I, I I always have a hard time putting into words uh, the impact that the book has had because i always feel it's the other way around i just always feel that it's it's we're we're just we're just sort of marching with everybody else now we've been marching before this we'll be marching after this we're just in it together so that people have taken the symbol and have tattooed themselves i i appreciate all of you you have more courage than i do i have no tattoos kelly sue and i thought that we'd make some stickers Maybe maybe some buttons <laughs> before we saw like the first set of people actually tattooing the, the the non-compliant symbol on them. So we we appreciate what that tattoo means for that particular person, whoever gets it. They've all a, a lot of people have customized it and, and stuff as well. They've made their own little interesting art along with the non-compliant symbol, which is really cool. It it, it uh, really sort of illustrates how how significant the 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 symbol is or what it means for each individual person who gets it how was that did you create that out of your own imagination or came from my own little head yes okay yes yes what informed that that symbol well we wanted to have we, we needed something that was going to sort of be a branding almost for the the non-compliant women we started with the idea uh ryan hughes who i collaborate with on the covers and he's fantastic crazy genius and he uh brought up this idea that we would maybe for the prison uniforms do that broken arrow pattern that they used to have on prisoners uniforms back in the day right so you could identify prison prisoners from uh, a distance i said well yeah pattern would be nice 
right? Instead of doing just an orange jumpsuit or um, stripes. Yeah, then I said, well, maybe we'll put the symbol along the dungarees, like the overalls that the women have to wear. So, so I just started building from there. After that, I just started working out some different sketch ideas for the, the non-compliant symbol. It's it's a really and, strong logo. Like you uh, can be a graphic designer, man. I've done a little graphic design work from time to time. Yeah, so yeah, you know, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Before I let you go, sure. I want to ask just one final thing mm-hmm. about the new book. Tell me about the book that is out while we wait for the main series, the anthology, the anthology. Uh, Bitch Planet Triple Feature is the first issue is out on stands. The second issue, I don't have the exact date, but I know it will be out in July. It is a anthology series running five issues that will feature uh, three teams of creators for each issue. Uh, so they're each telling uh, short stories that are uh, within the Bitch Planet world. Uh, so they're taking little bits and pieces maybe of stories that have, uh, or, or characters or scenes that have already been established uh, in Bitch Planet and they're writing a story to, to sort of back that up or they're coming up with their, their own thing with, uh, with some different characters. It's fleshing but, out the world, basically. Yes and no. I mean, the book can be read, like the, the anthology can be read independent of the main narrative. Oh, okay. That's, that's the important thing for everybody, I think, to, to, to understand is that it's... Kelly, Sue, and I are going to get back to the, the, the main story come issue 11 uh, after the anthology is done. So please enjoy the anthology for the the one and done short stories that they are they have a lot of uh, fantastic we have a lot of fantastic creators on it uh some are getting their first publishing credit right now uh with this book we've give we uh and Kelly Sue tried to give uh some opportunities to in particular artists that she found through her visible women hashtag that she put out on Twitter. So if anybody gets a chance, check out hashtag visible women. If you're an artist and you have a portfolio and you want maybe just an opportunity to be a part of that catalog, please uh, send your, your portfolio forward to the information that's you can find through that hashtag. It's visible women. So we pulled actually some artists, some creators out from, from there and we also just were lucky enough to get some really talented people too. Dylan McConus, uh, we got Vanessa Del Rey, we got, uh, uh, who else do we have? Uh, Kit Cox is actually writing the, the story with Vanessa and Kit Cox is uh, the, the, she works at MilkFed with, with Kelly Sue. So that's awesome. That's like Kit's, I think that's her first publishing credit. I, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, Kit. Uh, we also got Milkfed. What is Milkfed? Milkfed, Milkfed Criminal Mastermind. Sorry, that is Kelly Sue and Matt Fraction's company. That, oh, is, okay. that is their that is their publishing, and this is how they produce all of their their fine stories, and oh. they they put it under that banner. So it's actually a thriving business that they have from the inside of their house. <laughs> they have all this staff that comes over, and you know it's that, and and a cat, and a dog, a lizard. <laughs> It's it's wild. I, I got the the opportunity to be there a couple times, but uh, it is a wild functioning machine that they have going on there, right? So anybody who gets the chance, they could check out their website too. It is just Milkfed Criminal Master not Masterminds. It's a mouthful. I yeah, realize that. Yeah, that's cool. So, and you said that you had some guys from Bright Anvil from your past at Bright Anvil. Craig Young. Craig. Craig was uh, was uh, nice enough to step in and 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 do in 
do one of the stories for the first issue that just dropped there. So he uh, did the art and Marco D'Alfonso actually did the colors. And Marco uh, is another Bright Anvil uh alumni alumni let's say that i was about to say castaway (laughs) (laughs) that's not the right way to say it It, uh, he uh does a lot of those uh mashup prints that you may see at conventions with deadpool and and uh and batman and and all that he has amazing prints everybody go see if you could check out his site uh and he did the colors he also works with uh mike del mundo on on a lot of the 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 marvel stuff they do together he they they both uh have done quite a bit of uh, uh, art together as far as coloring and, and, and painting and all that stuff together too. Nice. So, and Mike Del Mundo is another, uh, just right another one. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I don't need to say anything that people don't already know about how good Mike Del Mundo is. Right. So, yeah, totally. yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've got a, a great set of creators lined up for the anthology. It can be read, uh, like I said, independent of the main narrative that we have going on in the main title. Uh, the back matter is uh, essentially identical to the main title though. So if people want to pick up the book for the, the back matter alone in the essays and and uh, uh, the letters and the pictures, uh, please, by all means, enjoy. <laughs> it's it's all there for, for, for consumption there. And it's, it's all as good as as lauren and and kelly sue and and everybody else always puts together for the back matter that's awesome yeah like the the back matter is something to behold mm-hmm. uh you don't just want to get the trades of this book you want to get the single issues just for the essays like yes, the sociological indeed. essays yeah the photos the really personal letters mm-hmm. that people write in mm-hmm. of their experience uh living as women, living as minorities, mm-hmm. uh, living in the LGBTQ community, living as you know trans people. Yes, indeed. It's it's something that I feel like is is an education mm-hmm. and uh, needs to definitely needs to be needs to be read and and propped up. Agreed. So um I guess the only other thing I have to ask is how can people find you on uh, on social media and what's what's next for you? Uh, boy, I, I have a Instagram and I have a Twitter. I have an Instagram and Twitter. They're both Val underscore Delandro. Uh, so you can find me there. Uh, what's next is just plugging away at this book. I mean, we've, we've got our next arc. Uh, the third arc is going to, uh, focus on fake news. Uh, we're going to sort of be pulling a little bit more from reality, but we're going to we're Kelly Sue and I have also uh in doing this anthology and the amount of work that it's taken to put this anthology together we realize how much of our satirical edge we need to sharpen let's say we need to kind of start making some broader cuts with our satire so we're hunkering down and trying to get the work done and 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 get some issues out on time right <laughs> and make sure that it's it's in people's hands so when, it'll, when it'll the time broaden comes. a little more societal a little more yeah we're going to see uh there's a lot of things that are going to unfold now after this what happened in the second volume especially in that last issue with what happened on in the auxiliary compliance outpost with uh the two facilities merging, like facility one broken, the, the women from facility one ran into the facility two. Uh, and plus everybody knows now that 
Eleanor, not everybody knows. The people on the, on the, in the facility know that, that Eleanor is still alive. Uh, on top of that, now, the fact that uh, what happened at the end, I don't want to yeah, spoil, spoil it, spoil it, it but, um, not. you know, there was, there was uh, a big event that happened on the last page of the second volume. So uh, the next issue is going to deal directly with that. It's going to be uh, how all of that came up and how we got to that final scene there. Nice. And then we're going to jump back into the the story from there and see what collateral damage is going to uh, uh, look like from, from all these events. So that's awesome. Stories I, rolling. I'm a fan. I'm enticed. Uh, thank you so much hey, thank for you. coming in and doing this. Uh, do you, you gave your Twitter and your Instagram and stuff. Val underscore Delandro. Nice. Yeah. So that's Twitter and Instagram. And I, I, you know, semi-regularly <laughs> update those things. Um, I will, I will try and be better with it. Nice. Cool. Well, uh, thank you again, Valentine. This has been an honor. And we'll see you again on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.